I think it's important for us to spend a significant amount of time with faith, and that's, that's why I wanted to do this uh, two-part series. So last week, we talked about what faith is. We also talked about uh, different degrees or levels of faith. We talked about uh, some of the difficult passages that deal with faith, and we addressed some of the difficult questions about uh, why some prayers don't seem to be answered the way that we uh, would like them to be or that we prayed. And uh, so we try to look into some of those difficult things and uh, find answers to that. So today, we're going to continue, and I want to begin by reminding everyone of uh, a verse that you probably know by memory, Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Salvation is God's gift to us. And one of the things that sometimes we don't notice about this verse, but I think is important to our study, is the fact that our salvation is a gift of God. That's what grace is. It is us receiving this amazing gift from God, even though we clearly don't deserve it. But yet at the same time, in order for someone to receive this gift, they must believe. And uh, that is borne out for us in, in this next passage. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel or the good news about Jesus, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so it's incumbent on humans to receive the gift, and the gift is received by our believing in the gift, believing what the gift is about, and, and that's the gospel, that's the good news. And as we're going to show, the gospel is a much broader concept than we often give it. In fact, uh, as you look at those five bullet points, many people's view of the gospel is narrowed down to the one in the middle, the third point, and uh, that's the gospel, the good news that my sins are forgiven. But as we saw last week, faith is about assurance, confidence, and conviction. And our assurance, our confidence, and our conviction is based on the person of God. Because of who God is, because of everything that he has done, we place our confidence on him. And we are certain that what he says is true. God is a covenant God. He's a God that has made many promises. And we believe, we are sure that those promises will come to fruition. They will come to pass because of who made the promise. Now, there are some people in my life, some people that I've known, 
that if they promise me they're going to do something or promise me they're going to be somewhere or they make a promise to me, uh, quite honestly, I don't have much confidence in it. And the reason why is because of the, of the history, of the history of them not keeping their promise or them not doing what they say they're going to do. You probably know people like that as well. But the fact is, God's not like that. God does not lie. God cannot lie because of his nature. God is true. He is truth. And so when God says something, you can be certain that he's going to do whatever he said. You don't have, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to wonder about that. Now, it might not be in the way that you think, or it may not be in the time frame that you have, and we'll address that momentarily, but still, we trust in God because of who he is and what he says. We trust in what he has done through Jesus, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. And as we understand what that means, the significance of what Jesus has done, and we understand how we are immensely blessed by receiving this gift of salvation, we are certain that, like God promised us, we too one day will be resurrected from the dead. And so we know this is a fact because he brought Jesus from the dead. Because of what God has done, because of his plan, because of the gospel, and that gospel includes our being saved from our sins. But it's not just being saved from past sin, it's being delivered and set free so that sin does not control us as we live life. Salvation is not just a one-time-in-the-past kind of thing. As we're going to show you from Scripture, uh, Peter even refers to our future salvation. And we will look at that momentarily. But I want to pause for just a moment on this third point and just say this. Unfortunately, there are Christians who have not received the gift of being justified or acquitted of their sins. Now, how do I know that? Because many Christians uh, have told me that they just cannot forgive themselves of their sins. Well, I want you to know, if you cannot forgive yourself, then you have to question what you think, what you believe about God and what He has done. Do you believe that God has forgiven you through Christ? Do you believe that? Well, you see, if you do truly believe that you are forgiven by really the only one that matters, in a sense you're kind of playing God by withholding forgiveness from yourself. And so let's just stop playing God and let's not be the judge nor be the one who determines who's forgiven and who's not. Let's let God decide that can you receive that and also 
salvation is about a life that we live. It's not like, okay, we're just saved in the moment, we're forgiven, and then it doesn't matter what I do the rest of my life. No, that brand or that kind of Christianity is not biblical. The Scripture has a lot to say about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit while we live life here on this earth. That's why uh, I've called this living by faith. We live. We, ha we live life. And so our salvation should be something that vaults us into a life of following Jesus. And that's where the sanctifying work of the Spirit is because what the Spirit does is transform us into the image of the likeness of Jesus. And we believe that. That's part of the gospel message. That's part of the good news is that God loves you. He saved you from your past sins, but he's going to change you. He's going to transform you into the image of Jesus himself. That's the work that God is doing. Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Do you trust that as you live day by day in the, the, the events and the circumstances and everything that happens to you during the course of life, God is actually taking all of it and using those things to bring you into Christ's likeness? Because you see, if you believe that, if we truly believe that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose, if we believe that and we believe the next verse, Romans 8, 29, that we are being transformed by all of that into the likeness of Jesus, then we need to pause and step back and think that maybe we should not complain so much. Maybe we should not be so negative about things that happen or things that go wrong. Maybe we shouldn't get so frustrated when things don't go our way or things don't go the way that we think they should. Because you see, and we're going to go into this in, in more depth, but there's a purpose in all this. There is a purpose in all of this. And so because we believe those first four bullet points, then we would believe the last bullet point. And that is the assurance, the confidence that we have in what God is doing. And we can have confidence in what he is doing. And there are reasons why. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, I love to study words. I love to look at the etymology of words, where they come from, uh, how they evolved and changed over time and all this and that. And one thing I found interesting about this verse is that that word that is translated hoped is found, the Greek word is found 31 times in the New Testament, but 18 of those times it is translated trust or trusted. So I got to thinking about that, and, and, and I got to looking about that, and I began to see the hope 
in the New Testament is not the kind of hope that we typically have in Western society where it's just wishful thinking. But the hope is something that we are certain about. In fact, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament defines that particular word saying it means expectation with the nuance of counting upon. In other words, when God makes these promises, when we have the promise of a new body, we have the promise of a new heavens and new earth, we have a promise of being transformed into Christ's likeness and all those kinds of things, I expect that's going to happen. I'm not hoping in the sense that, oh, I just wish I could be more like Jesus. Oh, I just wish God would change me. I just wish that I could be a better person. No. I am a better person because I know Jesus, and I'm going to continue to be a better person. I will be a better person because God is changing me. God is transforming me. That's what he's doing. And I believe in what God is doing. It embraces at once three elements of expectation of the future, trust, and the patience of waiting. (laughs) Who struggles with patience besides everybody? Patience. We want it now. We want it right now. We want it when we want it. We don't want to wait. We don't like to wait. Waiting's no fun. It's the certainty of trust in a divinely given future. God has something incredible awaiting us, and we're excited about it, and we're going to talk about that. But Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, in this hope we were saved. Well, you see, that makes a lot more sense when we understand hope means trust. This is basically saying the same thing that you just read in Hebrews 11 verse 1. We're saved by faith. We're saved by hope. Essentially, it's one and the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, he talked about what is not seen. That's what he's talking about here. And what does he say about it? Let's go back there. Look at the end again. We wait for it with patience. With patience. We wait for it with patience. So let's go back to Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance. We talked about that word hope. Let's talk about the word substance for a second. That word means essentially reality. It means reality. Faith is reality. Faith isn't wishful thinking. Faith is reality of things that we trust in because there's evidence of what we don't see. There's evidence. Now, I can't get my head around those passages of Scripture where it seems like Jesus just kind of boot. He just appears in his post-resurrection appearances, appears out of nowhere, appears out of nothing. Even in one passage, it, it, for all the world to me, it looks like the text is saying he just walked right through the door. He walked right through the locked door. 
And yeah, I can read about that immortal, glorified, incorruptible resurrection body, okay? But man, I, just, I, I can't see it. I've never, I've never seen that before. And it's hard to trust in that. But here's the thing, see. God gives us some evidence. Oh, I, I, ha- I happen to have a body. He's talking about have a, uh, having a body. I have a body. I can relate to that. A new body. You know, sometimes you can relate to that a little bit. I can relate to earth. I can relate to the heavens. But he's promised a new heavens and a new earth and a new body. So we have some sense, some limited capacity to understand a body living on an earth in the heavens. But now because of the gospel, because of the good news, because of all those things that we have just mentioned, we can believe and we can trust that all this stuff about an immortal glorified body and a new heavens and new earth, he's going to do that. I believe that. I'm convicted. You see, faith is something that happens in the, in the mind, between the ears. It's in the brain. It's, it's, it's in your thoughts. You know, you can have an idea. You can have a thought. You can have an idea. Maybe something... You have an idea about something you're going to make. But you know, it's invisible. You haven't done anything. There's nothing there. It's just a thought. And yet, there is a reality to the thought. The thought's real. And if you act on the thought... What you thought about can become a reality. And acting on the thought is what faith is about. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, he talks about a lot of other people besides Abraham. And he continues by saying, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them afar off. Both Jesus and Paul make statements to the effect that Abraham saw the day of Christ. He saw it. Did he experience Jesus like the disciples did? No. Like we do? No. Did he see it? Yes. Did he see a physical, literal body? Did he see Jesus hanging on the cross? No. But did he see it? Was it in his head? Was it in his mind? Was it in his thoughts? Yes. Yes. Was it real to Abraham? Yes. It was so real, he did whatever God told him to do, whether he understood it or not. 
That's faith, folks. That's faith. It's acting on what we see, even though what, or what we believe, even though what we believe or are convicted about, we may not be able to see it. Why? They're seeking a homeland. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Okay, look. As day after day goes on with all of us, in fact, I wish, I wish we had a lot more time today because I'd just stop us right now if this was a class and I'd pull out your notebook, pull out your pens, and let's just take a few minutes, I'm not going to, do this mentally, take a few minutes to write down all of the things in your life that are stressful and frustrating and difficult. Write them all down. Write down all your problems. Are there times that you wish things were better? Are there times you're not satisfied with the way things are? Are there times that you look forward maybe to another time, a better time? Are there times where you are hoping that things will settle down, things will get better? You see, you're, you're desiring a better country. Embrace that. Embrace the fact that things are not great in a lot of areas of life. Embrace that. Because I'm telling you, this is not the better country. This is not glory. This is not what God ultimately is going to do. This is not the end of the book. This is not the final chapter. This is not it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoever draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So now, let's move to 1 Peter. Chapter 1, I'm going to focus on some thoughts in verses 5 through 9. Who by God's power are being guarded or protected through faith. Why is God protecting us what is the purpose of God protecting us oh it's for a salvation ready to be revealed when in the last time So let's try to shift our focus a little bit off of the here and now to what the Scripture says over and over and over and over again. God is doing something. Let's embrace it because He has promised us the end. He's told us what's going to happen. He told us what this is going to look like. So what does he say about this? In this you rejoice. We're thrilled about what God has promised. We're thrilled about what awaits us. We're thrilled about the salvation that's going to be revealed when Jesus comes on the last day. Yes! Come, Lord Jesus! Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Though now, for a little while, 
you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result. Listen to this. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the same thing up there on the end of the first line and the second line, the yellow. Put the yellow together, okay? You see what he's talking about? What are you going to receive when Jesus comes? Praise, honor, and glory. Well, here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I get a whole lot of praise, honor, and glory in this life. Really. You probably don't either. What we tend to think is I do this and this and this and this and I work hard at this and that and the next thing and all that and for what? Y'all, I'm preaching myself. I am preaching to myself. I walked in, I walked in the house not too awfully long ago, down in the mouth and sad and plopped down in my chair and Becky asked what's wrong and I just told her. In that moment, I felt like nobody cares what I preached. Nobody listened to me. I've been doing this for 45 years. For what? Yeah. Preachers and church leaders get discouraged sometimes. We are human, you know. But I have to remember. I have to go back to the Word of God. And I have to remember. And Peter tells us, Jesus is coming, and when he does, wow. <laughs> all the negative, all the stress, all the problems, all the issues, all the struggles, all the things that got us down, and all the things that discouraged us, all of those things will be gone. They'll be gone. And that's why we can in believing, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Unspeakable joy, as one translation says. But what about those trials? He goes on to say in chapter 2, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Let's not forget everything. When, when, when we're down in the mouth and everything's going bad and we're discouraged and depressed and all this, and I wish I didn't have this problem and that problem and all these things. When you think about all that, just remember something, please. Just try to remind yourself of something. Don't forget, Jesus suffered too. Now, why did Jesus suffer? He suffered for you. He suffered for me. He left us an example so that we would follow in his steps. What was his example when he was suffering? He committed no sin, first of all. Everybody knows the verse, 
be angry and don't sin in Ephesians 4. Everybody remembers that. When you're angry, don't sin. Well, Peter tells us here, when you suffer, don't sin. Same kind of thing, right? When you suffer, don't sin. You know complaining is a sin? Do you know there's a story in the Old Testament, I think in the book of Numbers, I think 23,000 people got slaughtered. Well, I'm glad I live under Jesus and under grace because I'd have been dead a long time ago. Sometimes Becky calls me Negative Nancy. I guess because she can't think of a man's word that starts with an N. I don't know. Anyway, he didn't sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he just suffered. He didn't threaten. He just trusted himself to God. And he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how to live by faith. How to live trusting God when everything goes bad, when everything goes wrong. Do we trust God anyway? That's what we're talking about. By his wounds you have been healed. I love that. I don't understand it. I don't understand how that happens. But miraculously, by the Spirit, by the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ, our wounds are healed through Jesus. We could talk a long time about that. I don't have time, but I I do want to say this about that. He says, you have been healed. He didn't say you're going to be healed. You see that? You have already been healed. Do you believe that? If you believe that, we need to stop focusing on all the excuses that we make for why I am the way I am or blaming my mother or blaming my daddy or blaming my job or blaming my boss or blaming my neighbor or blaming my wife or blaming my husband or blaming my children or my DNA I was born like this I can't help it all these kinds of things. That's what people do. That's, what the, that's the way the world thinks. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's wrong because we just blame it on everything and everybody else. Well, let's, let's realize, okay, yes, in a sense, I am broken. Yes, in this body, in this life, I still struggle with stuff. I still get discouraged. I still get stressed out about things. But the truth is, I have been healed. 
I have been healed by Jesus. And I don't have to bear that burden anymore. I don't have to carry that around anymore. And yes, I struggle with things like approval addiction and people pleasing and things like that. But even though it happens sometimes, I am not a people pleaser because of Jesus. I am not a slave to those things. I can drop my baggage at the foot of the cross because I am healed. It's time to Start believing it and living it. Let's live it. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It's a sad, sad commentary when people who wear the name of Christ and call on Jesus, whenever something goes bad, they run to their past addictions. Instead of trusting in God. We've ceased from sin. And so for the rest of our time in the flesh, we're not going to live under human passions but by the will of God. We must focus our sight on what God is doing. What is God doing? And that's why James said, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and character. That's in the next verse. And endurance. And hope, because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given us. There's the gospel. We are filled with the love of Christ because the Holy Spirit is poured in, of our, in our hearts and because we are living love. It's what Luke's been preaching about. We are living love. By loving. And when we live like that, we are living a life of faith. And you can't be very good at loving others well when all you do is think about what you're personally struggling with. We need to redirect our focus. You know, depression is a terrible, terrible thing. And it's rampant in our country. It's rampant all over the world. But what happens with depression is that people turn inward. They turn inward. Their thoughts turn inward. Their Sight, their vision turns on themselves. And then they typically will pull back and isolate themselves from other people. 
And the longer they stay in it, the worse that it gets. And it's very difficult to get out of it. But I want you to know, if you can, look to Jesus. If you can try to turn your focus on Jesus and loving the people around you, the people that need to be loved, the people that want to be loved, the people that want to be affirmed, the people in your life, the people in your family, the people in your world, all around you every day, God's Spirit will give you the power and the love to do that. The relationship between the Holy Spirit and hope is an intimate one. That's why it is so important that we get past a superficial faith and that we truly come to believe in the work that God is doing in our lives and in his world. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what does life look like? When you live a life of faith, focus on your future. Look at what Peter said. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Put all your hope. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation. You're happy that you're saved right now? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. You have no idea how happy you're going to be when Jesus comes. You have absolutely no idea how you're going to rejoice and, and the level of your rejoicing and the quality of your relationship with him when he comes. And God wants you to believe that. Be confident in that. Be sure of that. Don't fear. Don't doubt. Don't worry. Don't be filled with anxiety when stuff goes wrong and there's bad stuff all the time that we have to deal with. All of us have to deal with it. Don't forget what God is doing. Don't forget what the kingdom is about. How do you live a life of faith? Love one another. Love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Keep loving one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. I'm going to tell you something. When you are focused on loving somebody... You can forget about a lot of bad stuff. Live a holy life, Peter says. So you focus on what God is doing, focus on loving people, and live a holy life. I want to ask you right now, right now, are there things that you are doing in your life that you know are not good and they're not right? Only you can answer that question. 
But if you're doing things that you know are not good and they're not right, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor, or in our case, the president. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. A life of faith is a life of peace. A life of faith means getting over ourselves. We put to death self. That's what Scott read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or I live by the faith of Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. But what did he say before that? He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's not me that lives anymore. It's not me. So we don't live by our flesh. We don't live by our passions. We don't live by lust. We don't live by our desires unless those desires are focused. People today talk about my salvation, my relationship, my purposes, my prayers. God's kingdom is a whole lot bigger than me. So everyone stand to your feet. Praise team, please come on up. Live in appreciation for what God has done. Joy for what he's doing. An expectation for what God is going to do. So everybody, if you would, recite with me 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure.